the last 28 miles were, were like a, a race. Like it, she was close. She was strong. And, you know, I had been told since then that she had won Moab 240 and she podiumed at the Cocodona 250. So I knew she had a lot of experience and she was clipping along and I was like, oh no. Welcome to the Gotta Run Racing Podcast with your hosts, Norman and Jody. Discover the inspiring stories of the average and not so average runners. And they're off. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Gotta Run Racing. Welcome, welcome, welcome. What is happening in the world of Gotta Run Racing? The final Chase the Coyote is just around the corner. How are you feeling about that? <laughs> It will be a sad day. Bittersweet. When the final runner comes through. But hey, we will be there waiting. No matter how long it takes. <laughs> okay, well, there is a limit. Yeah, well, we'll be there. We'll be there. And who's on the podcast today? Today we have Kathleen Egan from Washington State. She recently raced the Bigfoot 200, placing first female overall and just inside the top 10. Bigfoot, if you don't know, <laughs> has over 14,000 feet uh, meters of gain. It's 336 kilometers long, so 200, just over 200 miles. And it starts in Mount St. Helens and finishes in Randall, Washington. It's a point-to-point -point through the Cascade Mountains. Wow. Yeah, it's a biggie. It's also part of the Triple Crown of 200s, which consists of three 200-mile races over the course of four months, which I cannot imagine oh. anyone's completing that, but I'm, obviously they have. That's Tahoe, Bigfoot, and Moab. What do you think Bigfoot would actually do in this race? Bigfoot himself. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure his stride length is probably about 10 times what ours is, so I think he would crush. I'm thinking of Bigfoot during the $6 million man episodes. <laughs> Which, oh, you're dating yourself, <laughs> I know Norman. I am, but that was the best of that show. Anyways, <laughs> when he took on Bigfoot. There anyway. You well, let's get to Kathleen. Coming up. Welcome to the podcast, Kathleen Egan, and congratulations on your recent win at Bigfoot 200. Thank you very much. It's nice to meet you. I'm happy to be here and talk <laughs> about it. Awesome. Well, before we get into Bigfoot, we always like to start at the very beginning. So how and when did you start running? I actually started running while I was in graduate school. It was a way to get out and um, escape from the long days of sitting in the classroom and studying. It was cheap. It was easy. It was efficient and, and effective. So that's kind of where the journey began. When was your first ultra and how did that go? My first ultra was a few years after that. So in graduate school, I actually signed up for my first marathon. And that was really a fun experience. Um, I went to graduate school in Atlanta, Georgia. So the marathon that was most convenient and the right timing in between exams was in North Carolina. And so my friend and I took a road trip out there and we loved that whole rural scene, white picket fences, like the local dentist and the uh, neighborhood, the mom next door. It was one of those experiences that was really fun, warm, um, nice, welcoming community, and it stuck with me. So then fast forward after I graduated from graduate school, I moved back to Seattle, Washington, where I currently live. And I was looking into endurance sports and I ended up becoming really interested in uh, long distance triathlon actually, mm. and Ironman. And so I was training for 
the marathon part of the Ironman. And this is back in 2003, before social media and all the easier ways to get into, you know, online meetups and training groups. We had a local running store called the Seattle Running Company, and it was owned by our legendary Scott McCubrey, uh, who is well-respected and well-known in our sport. And he took a lot of us actually under his wing. In fact, a lot of people ended up going on the elite route, who he was the mentor to. It was really fun to see that over the years. But um, I joined their long group runs, which were every Sunday, and he would take us in the summertime to the Cascades and a beautiful trails in our mountains. And that was all part of my marathon training for triathlon. Well, I ended up falling in love with the people there. And they, I was like around all these ultra runners, even though I was the triathlete and they, they were just, Oh, I ran 20 miles yesterday. I'm doing 26 tomorrow. And they had like a little bagel and cream cheese in their hands, little rosy cheeks and super <laughs> friendly, modest, humble. It's like, who does that? <laughs> so um, that kind of planted the seed, really. And, um, and I, I started just hanging out with these people, all characters, all fascinating, just wonderful, hardcore and humble. And so then I signed up for my first ultra. It was, I think, the Mount Hood 5050. Mm. And it was in Oregon, again, towed the line, didn't know what I was doing, really, except for Scott gave me like everything I knew was from Scott McCubrey, right? But I had not done any of these and I didn't really have any close friends who had done any of these. And I had a great experience. It was beautiful. I loved the nature part of it. And again, the community, the people. I kind of, after that, they were saying, you really should keep doing these. You know, I had a couple of people afterwards and, and, and I just, it kind of spiraled from there. And I think that was in 2006, maybe was my first ultra. Did you finish your Ironman? I did. And I went on to do another one. And, um, and then after that, I kind of put that away and stuck with ultras. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'd like to talk about a few of the other races you've done because your, your history on ultra sign up is pretty extensive. But we did notice a race that came up that someone else that we chatted with has done several times. And that's Von Fan. I'm not sure if you've I'm sure you must know each other through the ultra scene because you're both living in the same area. But what did you like about Pigtails race specifically? <laughs> oh, cute. Yes, I do know Vaughn. Yes, I, I've known Vaughn for probably about 15 years. So she was one of the ones early on that I met, maybe later than the 2003 mark, but still early in my ultra running years. They were already out there just crushing it. But Vaughn, I, I think I, I love the pigtails because it was her race and she put it on and we all loved her and, and, you know, it's local and it was a great trainer and it was super fun. And I remember her one year, I think I won it one year and her, her gift was like um, bacon from her farm or something. <laughs> I was like, Oh, <laughs> breakfast for dinner. So it was just one of those grassroots and really, really um, it was just a fun one. Um, local, low key. And I, I enjoyed it. It was a good time of year. So, and then it, I think then it maybe went away or changed ownership. And I'm not sure if it's back. I haven't followed up on that one in a while, but it's it was a good one. We're pretty envious here in uh, Ontario, Canada, because we've realized that, especially on the West Coast, you can pretty much do an ultra both days of every weekend throughout the entire year. And we don't have that luxury. So I'm sure it's very tempting when you look at your race calendar just to throw them in as training runs 
whether you're racing or not. Yep. And that, that's what I used to do a lot was just train my uh, race my way to my a race. You know, I would do a lot of training runs up leading up to it. It was a great way to keep the fitness going and have some many, um, the big runs in between. Um, it, and it seemed to work well a, a while ago. Yeah. What do you look for? What elements do you look for when you're picking your, your a races? Nowadays, uh, I look for, I love mountainous and I, I do, I like a lot of vertical and more of a, a kind of a cross country or maybe high altitude. That kind of thing is appealing uh, given, you know, that the, the background I have, you know, I've done a lot of through hiking and fast packing and um, ski, ski mount, you know, some ski mountaineering and things like that. I really love the rugged mountains, but, you know, I have mixed it up and I, I enjoy a variety but I would say I'm most attracted to rugged. And I think that that's where Bigfoot really came to light is the, uh, that, that particular trail system. Of course. Well, we were fortunate to finally get our Western states done two months ago. I want to curious to know how you did in 2011 on your Western states. How did that whole experience feel for you? Well, first of all, congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> that is not an easy race. <laughs> um, West, yeah. Western States for me, you know, I had, I was one of those ones that I put in once and got in right away. It's oh. the first time I put in for that lottery. I hate you already. Um, I, I know, right? And, and I actually put in for UTMB the same time and got into that one the first time. And um, when I found out I was doing the Kepler challenge in New Zealand, which was a, a an ultra over there. And I was like, Oh, no, I, I wasn't, I, I figured I wouldn't be able to do both in the same summer. And so I had to pick and, and really, my friends picked for me, because by the time I found out that my name had been pulled for states, uh, my, my phone and everything was blowing up. They were already like, can I pace you? Can I crew you? So I said, Okay, I'm doing states, not doing UTMB. So anyway, I once I got into Western states, I was, um, focusing on that. But also, I realized it probably wasn't one that totally catered to my strengths. But at the same time, I was super thrilled because it is such a special race with all the history and, and all those things. That, that actually was probably my toughest hundred. And I think maybe, maybe I didn't train right for it. You know, I've never had a coach. And it probably would have been probably would made a lot of sense to get one for that because it's a lot of the downhill running. And that's not my strength. And I think I probably pounded my quads looking back uh, a little too much. And, you know, I had a friend from New Zealand who I was doing the Kepler challenge with. She flew over and got into Western States the same year. And I remember we, we were running together in the canyons and she blasts the downhills and I couldn't hear her. So I would, was, you know, following her to keep the conversation going. And then later I was like, oh, no, I think I think I blew my quads and I wasn't really paying attention because I was carrying on a conversation. So probably didn't run that one real smart and probably could have benefited from from a coach or for someone who is, you know, seasoned and could give me some good pointers. Yes, it was also my toughest race, 100 miler as well. But it was... Everything that yeah. I asked for. Mm -hmm. Definitely. <laughs> it's, a, it's a special one. I mean, it was the hardest earned one. <laughs> yeah. Yes, definitely. <laughs> it, well, you got in with one year. It only took me eight years. 
Oh, poor thing. <laughs> That's the common way. Now I can, I can relate because I've been trying to get into hard rock. So I do, I do relate for, you know, waiting and waiting and waiting. I'm still hoping and waiting for that one. <laughs> Fingers crossed for you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Another race that piqued our interest that you've done is Tiger Claw. Now that's directed by Ethan and Kimberly Newberry, also known as Ginger Runner. I'm curious about yes. the whole logistics of this race. What yes. exactly is this race? Oh, that was one of my favorites. That one is one of our local ones, and it's it's famous for the the climb, the amount of vertical. But but the uh, the logistics are fascinating too. So I I ran it the inaugural year, and there are a few different loops or routes you do, and you can choose which order you want to do them in. And uh, that makes it really fun because you don't know where people are and what their their choices and what it's kind of strategic. And I had never run anything done that way. And it was really fun. I absolutely love that one. And I do hope to do that one again. Do the runners keep it secret as to which loop they're going to do first from each other? I think it's a mix. I think some people will, you know, share that with each other. Other people probably keep it kind of secretive and have keep their strategy. I've, I've had people share with me and other people not. So I think it's just individual, <laughs> but it, that's a good one. I highly recommend that one. <laughs> And, and how it much quickly though? I think you got to be on top of it because otherwise, last year I would have done it. Yeah. How much vert are we talking? Oh, um, and so the year I did it, it was shorter. I think they had to change the length. I think it, when I did it, it was maybe twenty-one miles. I don't remember off the top of my head how much vertical it was, uh, but I think this last year they offered a they changed it into twenty-six mile, and then they had a fifty or a double. A double tiger claw. And people actually did that. It was so impressive. I volunteered at that race. And I can't remember how much vertical it is, but it's pretty brutal. It's pretty brutal. For anybody who likes to, to climb, that, that is a good choice. And you don't know how you place until you finish. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's really interesting. Yeah. I, I would like to try one day just to also meet him and her <laughs> but also take on this challenge well i highly recommend it and they they do an excellent job with organizing let's get into bigfoot was this your first 200 miler it was actually and i assume that you were drawn to it because of the location obviously it's in your backyard so to speak exactly yeah I, I, I was familiar with some of those trails. You know, I'd run around Mount St. Helens several times in the past. And it starts down in that area. I'm curious because you're a similar age to us. Um, I think you've crossed the threshold of being 50, I believe. <laughs> uh, I, I, let's see, today's the 29th, about two weeks. So oh. very close, I'll be 50. But this was an early birthday gift to myself. Yes. <laughs> okay. Well, well, almost welcome to the fifties. But, and like I said before, you do have an extensive racing history. So I'm curious to know because for me, age is playing a factor now with how I choose my races and how I go about my training. Do you think you could have tackled a 200 miler in your thirties? Let's say personally. Probably not because I don't think I had the maturity back then. And I've had a lot of life experiences, I think, that helped me get ready for this one. Like the 
backpacking, the through hiking, patience, self-care, you know, and, and just multi-day, you know, nutrition, feet, all those things that are really important for sustaining those long, you know, everyday outputs. Um, in my 30s, I think I was more impatient and, you know, quicker out of the gate, you know, would just go for it, you know, and I, I don't think that that's, that for me, that wouldn't have been a good approach for a 200 miler because I, I wouldn't have lasted. So I, I, I love, I love being this age and doing these kinds of challenges. I think that's the case for a lot of people. It seems like there's a big age spread between who's doing these races. It's the younger generation that are at that level of elite more so and then there's our generation who have more time to dedicate to their training mm -hmm. and i think it's uh, an interesting statistic yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. how did you feel at the start line knowing that this is going to be the hardest race or run of your life well you know the start line i had some mixed emotions because there was a little other um things at play in my life at the time. My mother's life partner, who's my would be my stepfather, um, was uh, diagnosed with a, you know, stage four cancer, and he had congestive heart failure, and he had just gone on to hospice earlier that week. Mm. And really, the last month of my training and prep and much of the summer involved him going in and out of the, the hospital and getting care and, and um, you know, just a very, very quick downhill trajectory of his health. And uh, I'm very, very close. I was close with him and, and I am close with my mother. And I really struggled with whether or not I should leave because I had a feeling that, you know, over five day race, which Bigfoot was, uh, that it was a, a strong possibility that he wouldn't be alive if mm -hmm. I left. But right before I towed the line, like two days before, he called me in um, while he was on hospice and brought up my race. And as he was, you know, slipping in and out of consciousness and he was, he said, you know, I know how much this means to you and I know how much you've trained and prepared for this. And I really want you to do this and I will be with you um, in whatever energetic form that is. I really want you to do this and do it for me. And I want to be with you. And then he kind of chuckled and he said, and I want to win. And of course I laughed. We both laughed. And I said, that's a tall order. And I described, <laughs> well, a win is towing the line. So at that point I knew I had his blessing to go ahead and, and tow the line, but I towed the line with that kind of emotion and that weight, knowing that uh, when I finish, I very well might not have him, you know, in this physical form of our lives. So, uh, you know, I had that with me and then I had the anticipation of, I'm actually glad to be here and um, be healthy and, and, and be able to start this race. And I know it's going to be a long journey and there's a lot of unknowns, but I've, um, you know, I'm prepared. I'm well prepared and I'm just going to give it a go and, and get going. You know, I think the anticipation sometimes is really hard when I had all that going on. And then just the, the thoughts of, oh, no, you know, during your taper, oh, my foot hurts or I'm tired or, you know, I feel emotional or all those things. So I was actually really glad to to get going, even though, of course, I had those nervous butterflies and the the, the fears of the uncertainties. Well, we're, we're very sorry to hear about your stepdad, but I think gratitude does play a big factor. And I think that's another thing that we learn as we age being grateful to be able to participate in events like this because as you get older, you know of more people 
who aren't able to do things like this mm -hmm. for whatever reason. And I think that it's something that we need to hold on to and be reminded of because it is really important. Be There's lots of people out there who would love to be able to do what we do, but they can't. So I reflect on that when I'm in the pain exactly. cave. And I think it really helps push through because mm -hmm. it, it could change like that. So gratitude is a big thing for me personally. <laughs> so I can relate. <laughs> yes. I 100% agree. And I did carry that with me during the more difficult times was just gratitude, being grateful that I can do this and I can move my body and I'm turning 50 and I'm still out here. You know, <laughs> I've been in the sport for a while and I feel healthy and good and very grateful. Those moments. Yeah. They help. <laughs> Let's break down the race into sections. How was the first 24 hours? The, the first 24 hours are really interesting. So at the start of Bigfoot, it's a single track trail. I am not one of these ones that was going to be looking to see where the women were placed and where I'm placed. You know, I was in the middle of the pack and it was like, we've got lots and lots of time to be out here. I'm just going to get into a nice, easy rhythm and, and go from there. So I, I was moving along in those first several miles um, and, you know, ran with some with a woman actually um, through the blast zone, having a great time, feeling very comfortable, the pace I was going. And, and then um, really at mile 50 is where apparently, and I did not know this, apparently I caught the first woman. And again, I had no idea where people were because there was also a 40 miler that started an hour before us. And I, came up on, I know a friend who did the 40 miler and I caught her. So then I, I was seeing other people out there and I didn't know the bibs kind of looked similar to me, the colors. It's like, I don't know if they're in the 40 miler or the, or the 200 miler, but I'm just moving along. So anyway, um, at around mile 50 is when I apparently caught the, the woman in first place and she had told me she was not feeling well and she was going to um, withdraw. She was going to DNF at the next aid station. And so then at that point, I knew I was in the front. A few hours later, I caught up with my first pacer, which was at mile 64, 65 at Norway Pass. And that's where my pacers jumped in. And they told me, you know, you're, you went from fifth woman, 19th overall, I think it was, to first woman, seventh overall. And I swear, I feel, I feel like my face went white. I started to panic. I was like, oh no, I, 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 that's not my style. I don't want to be in the front. Not so early. You know, there's still two, you know, 150 miles of this race, 160 miles. This is way too soon. But um, they, they took a reading on my face and because originally they were like, you're doing great. And I was like, oh no. And they said, just, okay, just stay within your abilities and just keep going. If you're feeling all right, just relax. So I just forgot about all that and just kept on going. And then I had my pacer with me at that point. And then um, later, I think it was oh, maybe 60 miles later when I realized that the first woman had not dropped because I saw her as I was leaving an aid station and she looked like she was rallying and, and pretty strong. And that's when it started to feel like this might be a race between her and I through the rest of us. I'm not sure if you were actually, were you tracking this when it was happening? <laughs> not you personally she but... was she was closing in pretty strong yeah the, the the first 24 hours i was pretty much from 50 mile on in in the front 
And, um, and I, I stayed that way for the most part. And, and then I started realizing that number two was coming in closer. And so it was just a a matter of figuring out who's sleeping when, you know, the strategy, people are sleeping at different times, they're in their cars, they're in tents, and figuring out who was placed where. Um, And, you know, that's when I started feeling like, maybe this, I need to pay attention and start making this, you know, making a, a move, or at least staying in the front. Hey guys, if you like what you're hearing so far, then check this out. We're back for our 10th and final year of the Chase the Coyote Trail Race. That's right, folks. It's your last chance to chase that coyote. If you've always wanted to tackle Cardiac Hill, climb the 64 steps to ruin, or navigate the roots of all evil, this will be your last chance. We've even added two more K to the 14K route to give you a chance to see more of Mono Cliffs Provincial Park. Registration is now open for the 50, 25, and 16K races at gotterunracing.com. Now back to Jody and Norm. Now you mentioned sleep. Did the race provide any anything for you to sleep on, or did you have to figure that out on your own? And and if so, how much sleep were you getting at a time? Yeah, that's always the good question with that. Um, so yes, they did have some sleep stations, and in those sleep stations, they had tents or they had cots in some places, and they had mats and blankets. And so um, you could always go in, you know, and ideally with some earplugs and grab a snooze. For for something like this, I I feel like it's pretty common that it's the sleep, the sleep strategy is challenging because you feel like you've got to sleep on command because if you don't fall asleep right away, you're like, oh, I'm, I'm wasting time. But then when you're laying there, you're also hearing all these other amazing people coming through and people clapping and cheering. And it's, it's kind of hard to, to focus on I got to fall asleep right now because I want to be up again in 45 minutes. So I, that's kind of what my thing was. I put earplugs in and just put a hood over my head and tried to kind of meditate and focus on my breathing. And, um, and I would actually, fortunately I, I fell asleep fairly quickly. I mean, I was really exhausted and I slept at, um, one of the sleep stations for 45 minutes. And that was interesting because once I woke up from that, I felt like, almost a complete reset. That was fascinating. I wasn't expecting that. I thought maybe I'd feel really stiff with that break, but I actually felt mental clarity and my legs felt pretty good. It was really interesting. I'd been told that it is a good reset if you can sleep for 45 minutes or 90 minutes, but I didn't know how I was going to feel. And it, it turned out to be true for me. So yeah, I'd wake up and then I'd have a nice caffeinated beverage, like a breakfast type of coffee. And, um, and then off we went and I, you know, and then I would feel renewed for a bit until the next lull hours would go by again. And then I would start realizing I need to have another snooze. And really I did two, two sleep breaks each for about 45 minutes. And then, uh, one in between I attempted to sleep and I I couldn't fall asleep at that one. Uh, so I laid down for 45 minutes with my feet elevated and that, that helped. It wasn't quite the same reboot as actually falling asleep, but it was, it was effective in ways like it gave my feet a nice rest. It would be difficult okay. for me to turn off my brain because my brain will still be racing. Yeah, that was a thing too. And I, I actually was paying attention to my caffeine intake for that reason as well. I, I usually am a little more um, free with taking caffeinated gels or taking things at aid stations, like a little bit of Coke or something like that. 
Um, I really didn't want to have any caffeine until I would sleep and then wake up. So um, I really wanted to have that burst afterwards and feel like I, again, renewed, recharged. But that is, that is something that, that is tricky. I, I have talked to people who are known to take a Benadryl in advance. I thought, oof, that might be tricky, but that works for that person. Um, they take a Benadryl and then they take a snooze and they get up and I guess it wears off and, and they go. So mm. people have different strategies. I didn't try that. I just did earplugs. I have heard noise canceling headphones. And I, I think that would be a nice route mm. where it just kind of dumbs out all the sound. That might be in my next approach. If you know, I, I might invest in those if I do this again. <laughs> did you try to do your sleep closer to sunrise or dead of night? For me, um, I realized so that one time that I laid down for the 45 minutes I, uh, and did not fall asleep, I, I recognized that was daylight. And I thought maybe it's, that's part of it is it was just daylight. So the, the two times where I effectively slept, it was dark. It was like mm. two in the morning where I was really tired. It was nice and dark out. I could get the hood over my head and not see any light through the tent. So I, I actually was more effective trying to sleep in the evening at nighttime. That makes sense because you, you can't just trick your body mm -hmm. if you haven't been training to do that. So it does make sense. Okay, so it seems so strange seeing this. So the first 24 hours, mm -hmm. let's go to the next 24 hours and see how you're feeling. <laughs> yeah, pretty much the, the race was continuing that, I mean, really... After mile 50, I was in the front and kind of ran scared the, until the finish. <laughs> but the further along we got, um, number two was getting stronger. Yeah, uh, she was getting stronger and stronger. And I started getting feedback from my crew that she was gaining on me. And, you know, in the meantime, I had, you know, some big blisters on my feet. So I would stop and, you know, they, they, they had incredible medics there that, you know, would specialize in feet, foot care and, I, I, you know, I would take the 20 minutes to have my feet taped and dealt with. I think that was a good call, even though it was a little extra time consuming. And I did that twice. And every time I would do that or take a snooze, she would be pulling in pretty quickly afterwards. And so really, um, I, I just, throughout the time, we just kept an eye and, and we just, whenever we could get updates, which really wasn't often, you know, a lot of this is very remote and there's no no way of tracking my crew just was with me and supporting me. And then if they saw her coming in when they were leaving after I left the next time they would see me, they'd report that to me. But, you know, being in the front is harder than uh, being number two, where you can ask how, when did she come in? When did she leave? That kind of thing. So again, running scared and just trying to, to do the best I could, but also staying within my own abilities. That was really important because I mm -hmm. needed to be able to maintain what I was doing because there was still a few days left in that race, <laughs> you know, but, um, yeah, so I just kept, kept on going and, and yeah, use the information and, and try to, you know, do the right sleep strategy, which was a really good reset and reboot for me. And, and then, you know, I guess later is when it got to where I just really had to take a risk with my pace towards the last chunk of the race the last 28 hours or 28 miles hours 28 <laughs> miles 48 no 28 before we get to the 
finish line during the five, four or five days, what did you see out there as far as, wow, that is spectacular, a sunrise over a mountain or maybe some animal that crossed in front of you, things like that? Um, I saw beautiful mountains and um, forests, lush, for- lush forests, uh, all kinds of nature. I don't remember seeing much uh, large animal wildlife, but I did see some what reportedly were pretty rare, tiny little frogs that were super cute hopping along at night and some bigger um, frogs. I love frogs. So that was, that was fun, but I don't really remember seeing any other large animal wildlife, not for real. You know, I did have some hallucinations, but that was more of a um, backpacker person, you know, slumped over a tree, <laughs> which my husband and I simultaneously hallucinated that same thing. <laughs> not an animal, but a human we thought we saw who was not there. It was a tree stump. <laughs> That's so common that people share hallucinations. That yeah. is really interesting because Norm's had that experience with a pacer that he shared an hallucination and it's mind boggling. Yeah. <laughs> and he's shooting stars. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, and I, I, I think so. Whether they were real or not, I'm not quite sure because that third night is when I started having uh, more hallucinations, nothing frightening or scary. I mean, just things that maybe I would have even seen at Western States, you know, from one overnight, just like little things in the trees, making shapes out of other things in the sky or, or something like that. But um, the, the, that third night, I did thought I saw a couple of shooting stars, which was pretty magical. I enjoyed that. And that's when the the tiny leaping frogs, which I think were real. But um, there was definitely a few things that I was later told were not real. Um, and at the same time, something new to me was this um, in and out of reality episodes I was having. And that was night three, where I would slip in and out of reality. And when I would come back in, I would look around at my pacer and I would say, what am I doing? Where am I? I, you know, I was, Oh, I'm in a race. I'm, I'm running Bigfoot. That's right. Okay. And then all of a sudden, where am I again? What am I doing? Oh, this is Bigfoot, you know? So that was new. I'd never experienced that before. And, you know, this was all while we were kind of like hiking alongside a steep ledge. <laughs> I was like, just keep an eye on me, please, Monica. That was my pacer. <laughs> like, this is what's going on for me. Um, so that was that was new. I'd never experienced that before, but I'd heard that that can be a thing, and it makes sense. You know, it'd been night three, and I had slept not more than ninety minutes. I can imagine the chat around the campfire once you're done with your pacers, re- re- you know, reliving the things that you said to them during the event. And I hope they wrote it down because it'll be fun to look back on, <laughs> or at least videotaped it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> We're still talking about it and revisiting. We're like, what just happened? <laughs> Let's chat about your last 10 hours now. You know that in this day, you're done. How did that feel going in your last 10 hours? That, that was really helpful when I was figuring out, I, I think I can finish that, that day, that next day. I was, that, that helped. That's a motivator. It also helped me relax on um, strategy and, and caffeine and things like that, that ultimately I, I really wanted that I was staying away from earlier on because of sleep. 
really it was at um, the second to last aid station where I was getting my foot dealt with. There was um, a couple of people there that were saying, oh, she's she's really closing in. You're probably going to see her on the out and back. And, um, and I thought, oh, well, you know, <laughs> that's just how it is. And so I still took a snooze there. That was my last 45 minute nap and had my feet dealt with. And I'm glad I did that because it really what it did was it just made my feet to where I could just knock it out. You know, they went numb right away and that was great with the tape on them. And, and then I was able to pound some caffeine. And then I was with my uh, pacer, Chrissy Mel, who has a lot of race history and she was an incredible pacer and helped me move forward. And we just took it from there and just picked up the pace. And, and as we were getting feedback that she was really coming in from five miles to two and a half to one and a half, then we were like, oh, so, <laughs> you know, then we really just, we kicked in. I found a gear that I didn't know that I had and just moved along and eventually gained some more miles back. I think I finished like maybe five miles ahead of her, but it got pretty close. Like she was one and a half miles back. And that, so that last aid station I had planned on switching into a nice wider pair of Hoka shoes. And I just had to run right through that. And I was like, I am being closed in on, we just got to go. We, <laughs> we got to hustle. So I didn't even stop at that aid station. I picked up my, my last pacer and we just took off and, and, you know, I ran as hard as I could with everything I had. It's amazing how in a race of that distance, you can have someone that close to you because we've run 50 K races where you don't see anyone the whole time <laughs> yet, you know, they're there, but to be in a 200 miler and someone's within a mile and a half of you at the end is pretty incredible. That's a sprint. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I, I mean, the last, the last 28 miles were, were like a, a race. Like it, she was, close she was strong and you know i had been told since then that she had won moab 240 and she podiumed at the cocodona 250 so i knew she had a lot of experience and she was clipping along and i was like oh no what's happening <laughs> so um i was i was running scared in the truest sense i really had to dig deep to to, to get that win she was not going to let me have it and i wasn't going to let her have it and that was what made it a really fun competitive in a good way, you know, all the right ways. I think we probably both had better races because of that in the end. In the moment, it hurts. <laughs> it's scary. <laughs> but in the end, looking back, it's like, oh, that was kind of cool. <laughs> well, congratulations again. Tell us, how do you wind down after a race of this magnitude? After after that, I just, you know, I, I'm going to say I was, I, I'm surprised at how decent I felt after this one. I was really shocked and i will say after western states i felt much worse like i had pitting edema in my feet my every muscle in my body was like not able like it was bad after western states and i i'm not really sure why that is maybe it's because i felt really well trained for this one i mean newbie yes so you know i i definitely look back and could have done things more efficiently and you know i i would refine things now but but I was well-trained, you know, my husband and I had a lot of fun in the mountains getting ready for this thing all summer. I would say, you know, the recovery has been nice. I haven't hit those lows and lulls and, you know, I'm back running and, and working out and doing things like that. So life is almost continuing as it was, except for, of course, my, um, my stepfather did pass away hours before the start of the race. Mm -hmm. So we're dealing with that right now. So it's kind of like, 
highs and lows and everything in between. But, but fortunately, my body feels good. So I'm able to ride out those things. I'm able to grieve in a healthy way. I'm not in a dark place. Like I, I feel like things are as good as they can be, all things considered. Now, I did notice on your Instagram that you're an avid traveler, as are we. And we like to try to plan a race overseas to explore a new country at least once a year. So have you done that yet? Or do you have your sights on any particular yeah. overseas races? Including Canada? <laughs> Is the Canada overseas? <laughs> Overland. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I, you know, I have done, I had a really, I did do a race actually. It wasn't an ultra, but I did do a race in Canada. It was really fun. Um, it was called the Bear Mountain 21K put on by the Fraser Valley Trail Trail Race Group. That was a lovely one, not far from, from Vancouver. I do love doing destination races. In fact, my second Ironman was in Nice, France. So mm -hmm. I, I used to love doing the, the overseas traveling. I, I think Chile would be a great place. Mm -hmm. I would love to go to Japan and do some, some races there. The sky's the limit with that. I, I am uh, Nepal would be great. You know, I've, I've spent some time in some of those countries and I would love to go back and do some races. New Zealand was, was wonderful for the Kepler challenge. I don't have anything um, in mind right now. Um, we are thinking about going to South America in the winter, but not with the race because I'd be taking my mother with us on this one mm. just to let her have look, look forward to something. Of course. Now, what about a stage race? Have you done one or have you thought about doing one? Because I just signed up for my first. It's not very long, but I'm excited to try it. <laughs> yes. Um, I actually have not tried a stage race and I've been very intrigued by them. And uh, Trans Rockies used to be high on my radar. Um, and then in Morocco, the um, MDS. Which one did you sign up for? I actually signed up for uh, Run the Rocks in Moab next March. Oh, see that, that that's that sounds nice too. I I would love to try a stage race. I that's one thing I haven't tried, and I'm really interested in that. I think I would enjoy that. And I've heard, again, community camaraderie. It's just a really fun way to experience the trails in a race environment. Well, I think you did it backwards because you you've done you've done the 200 miler, and I think a stage race would be a piece of cake for you because. <laughs> You get to sleep and eat and drink in between. <laughs> oh, and I love that. That's what I did. I ended up uh, for UTMB. I ended up, you know, as I decided to do Western States instead, I did end up doing um, the Tour de Mont Blanc uh, on our own. My husband and I and, and a friend went over there and did it over five days, hut mm. to hut, where we were able to eat and sleep and drink. And we loved it. It was a great way to do it. We saw everything. By daytime, I grew up in Germany, so I love the Alps. It was it was just absolutely lovely way to experience that trail, the U, the UTMB course, which is the Tour de Mont Blanc isn't exactly that course, but it's a lot. It very much overlaps with the race. Well, we're gonna have to pick your brain then, because Norm's set to do UTMB next year, and we'd like to spend a little bit of time ahead of time, sort of exploring and and breaking the, the race down into sections. So we'll have to pick your brain on how to do that. <laughs> Please do. Yeah, we loved it. We had a great time. <laughs> did you watch any of the live coverage of UTMB? I did. And it was really fun to follow this year, wasn't it? Did you watch it? <laughs> oh, yes. 
I was uh, on my way to meet a friend to do a long run on Saturday. So I was driving in my car with YouTube on and I saw Killian finish. And then when I finished my run, my drive home, I saw Katie finish. So it was really exciting, actually. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, it was really, I, I did follow that one. And it was an exciting year to be following it. Especially when the two men were only five minutes apart, I think. Yeah, that was crazy. <laughs> that was crazy. Such a long race for five minutes apart. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, mm-hmm. this has been awesome, Kathleen. Thank you so much for joining us today. We really enjoyed hearing about your experiences of all the races that you've done. And I'm sure we could chat for a couple more hours, but <laughs> maybe we'll do that over a beer at a race in your neck of the woods. <laughs> Oh, I would love that. Please do reach out anytime. Um, I would love to take you out in our mountains and show you around. You're most welcome. Thank you for having me. It was, it was fun chatting with you. Well, before we let you go, we like to finish off with uh, some rapid fire questions just to have a little bit of fun, if you don't mind. Nope. Go ahead. <laughs> okay. And since I've mentioned uh, alcohol a couple of times, I'll ask you beer or wine. <laughs> you know, it, it, well, if I'm going to South America, I want wine. <laughs> I love their wine there. Um, but primarily, I would choose beer over wine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a little more refreshing anyway. Have you run in your bucket list mm-hmm. location yet? Ooh, I wouldn't even say I have one bucket list location. Um, you know, my husband and I have been lucky to, to be able to travel to a lot of places over the 12 years we've been together many, many countries. And we do run on our own. We haven't raced in a lot of those countries, we, but we've, we do run. That's, we, we call it like run tourism, uh, mm-hmm. tourism by foot. So we'll go and plan a, a running route and go see sites in, in historical places. So we, we definitely try to, to get a run in wherever we go, if it's allowed. I mean, even in Iran, we were able to, you know, as a woman, I was able to get a little run in that last time we were there. So yeah, we, we definitely, we make that a priority if we can. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, what's another sport you'd like to excel in? Uh, my, my first love was alpine skiing. So that's something that I started doing before I even remember. I think I was still in diapers. And, you know, I grew up in Germany. So we were able to ski Austria and Switzerland and places like that. You know, later in life, I, I started getting into a little bit of, you know, skinning up some of our volcanoes and skiing down, a little ski mountaineering. And I, I, I really love that activity. And I would I wish I could put more time into that. I find it joyful, again, being in the mountains. And I love the, the physical part of it and the challenges. And it's very much near and dear to my husband's heart. So it's something we enjoy together. I, would, I really would love to get better at that. If you could travel back in time, what period would you go to? Mm. Well, I mean... I mean, I, I lived through the 80s and they were a blast. And I, I'm, I have fond memories of that time of my life, probably the best time of my life, you know, living in Germany and the people and the friends. And yeah, I, I would say the 80s rocked. I wouldn't mind going back to that time frame. <laughs> okay. I was going to ask you the concert question, but since you lived in Germany in the 80s, did you ever see Depeche Mode in Germany in the 80s? <laughs> Oh, I definitely did. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Okay, Love we're, them. We're going to be friends. <laughs> Are you a Depeche Mode fan? I take it. Huge, yeah. huge Depeche Mode fan. I love it. That's so fun. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
awesome. <laughs> I'm sorry for the drummer who just passed away. I know, not the drummer, the keyboardist. The keyboardist but just passed there's, away. There's rumors that yeah. they're working on an album, so there's hope yet. <laughs> All right, fingers crossed. Well, we'll have to meet up for a concert somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> a concert and a run. Yeah. <laughs> yes, definitely. I'd love that. That would be that would be fun. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll let you go. Thank you so much for taking time out to chat with us. We really appreciate it. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. <laughs> well, do look me up if you're ever in the area. You know, I'm right in uh, North Seattle. So I would love to have a beer and, and a run. So anytime. Well, we, we might take you up on that because yeah. he needs vert for UTMB. I need lots of vert. Awesome. <laughs> yes, and we've got lots of vert here. That can be, yeah, you can get in a lot of vert here. All right. All right. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Cheers. Have a good one. You bye too. Bye. bye. All right. That was Kathleen Egan. So impressive. I know. So impressive. I just. I want to know, but I don't want to know how I could function on 45 minutes of sleep every 24 hours. We didn't say that, but she actually, it took her over 75 hours to complete Bigfoot 200 and to, <laughs> to just keep going and figure it out and to be chased. Yeah, that's the hard part. I know, eh? it's like... Oof. Yeah, you're you're enjoying the adventure, but then you're also racing. So yeah. you got to right, know that fine line. But she handled that pressure well, obviously. Yeah, and that being her first 200. Right, <laughs> exactly. Can't wait to hear or see what she does next. Yeah. If she's ever going to do Cocodona, 250, hey, why not up at another 50? Or Moab or stage racing. I think she'd do well at stage oh, yeah, racing because... Like I said, having that sleep and putting your feet up and, and just being somewhat fresh the next day. Exactly. I can't wait to see what you do. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. Until next time. We are your hosts, Jody and Norman. If you've enjoyed the show, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcast or wherever you're listening. Please visit our website, gotterunracing.com, for more details and join us on social media at gotterunracing on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can support our channel by joining us on Patreon. All of the links can be found in the show notes. Thanks for listening and see you next time. Cheers.